0: Welcome to the first episode of Quiet Mark's Acoustic Academy podcast series. I'm Simon Gosling, CSO at Quiet Mark. As I record this intro, it's early April 2020, and London, like much of the rest of the world, has gone into lockdown in response to coronavirus. Everyone's practising social distancing, self-isolation, and doing their best to prevent its spread. Like the rest of the Quiet Mark team, I'm working from home, and so I've stepped outside into my garden to record this introduction. Living in London, You may hear the occasional emergency siren go past, the odd plane fly overhead, birds chirping in the trees, but it's noticeable that London is much quieter than usual. Every sound is more noticeable. Quietness has never seemed more important or front of mind. Where could this take us, and how will we live and work after this profound period of change? Through our first series, to explore this, we've gathered and interviewed some of the leading architects and sound experts in the world, sharing exclusive, intimate insights into their projects. But before I introduce our first guests, I should start by saying a little bit about QuietMark, what we do, and why we're doing this podcast at this time. The official line on the website will tell you that QuietMark is the third generation global award program associated with the UK Noise Abatement Society Charitable Foundation with a unique long-standing remit to raise awareness of and find solutions to noise pollution. But generally whenever friends and family ask me questions about QuietMark I tell them that our core service is a specialism in technical assessments of the acoustic design of products where we award the QuietMark to the quietest products, the best solutions to unwanted noise We're the first multinational Buy Quiet and Design Quiet movement organisation. We're a consumer champion and passionate acoustic experts focused on protecting public health and well-being. When you go to quietmart.com, you'll find over 350 awarded products from over 70 household name brands, including wide ranges of consumer technology for every living space, including, for the commercial sector, awarded building materials and technologies too, which have achieved the award, meeting the lowest noise acoustic standards. The quiet mark is that distinctive purple Q logo found on awarded products across UK retailers like Argos Sainsbury's, Curry's Dixon's and the John Lewis Partnership. So as a consumer, whenever you see the quiet Mark, you know that you're purchasing one of the quietest products in its category. Reducing noise in our homes, office and building design and finding the right fundamental acoustic materials equation for the structure is widely known as a complicated challenge, sometimes even an afterthought. But hearing every outside noise, cold echoes and pipe gurgles for years after is a pain to live with and it can really let a project down badly, not to mention make the property difficult to sell. Right before the lockdown, QuietMark launched our Acoustics Academy, the pioneering online platform service, to help better understand and assess specialist products so that they become more widely used. In the right applications to further enable creation of healthy living spaces and whilst much of the construction industry has been put on hold during lockdown we're processing assessments of every type of noise reduction solution for architects designers specifiers and homeowners giving everyone free and easy access to bespoke solutions for every building scenario so this accompanying podcast series will hopefully help us to learn more together from those experts that are paving the way it now gives me great pleasure to introduce our first guests Richard Grove, Acoustics Director, and Colin Ball, Lighting Director, both at BDP, the Building Design Partnership. You may well ask why we've included a leading lighting designer in our journey into sound design, and that's a good question. But it's through getting to know this dynamic duo that we've discovered an exceptional example of galvanizing design specialisms in collaboration for common good, and their rare work practice, we thought, would be truly inspirational to share with the industry. And who'd have thought just a few weeks ago back in February at Future Build in the Excel Centre London that that very conference centre would now be a field hospital and that Richard himself would have to battle with coronavirus symptoms. Colin and Richard are two of 900 staff working at BDP, a firm of global architects and engineers, who've recently been in the news for the brilliant work they've done in converting the Excel Centre in London into the Nightingale Hospital. Richard unfortunately became ill, but thankfully he's now in recovery. I originally recorded a conversation with Colin and Richard back in February after our Acoustics Academy launch event, but soon after coronavirus of course changed life as we know it and lockdown meant that we started working from home. So yesterday I got back in touch with Colin and Richard and we recorded an extra section talking through insights into the building of the Nightingale Hospital and Richard's unfortunate experience. So with no further ado, following a brief introduction to Colin and Richard, you'll hear the conversation we had yesterday and then the conversation that we enjoyed in February. So let's start with Colin. Colin is a leading designer of international excellence and repute. He leads the award-winning lighting studio at BDP. Educated in architecture, Colin has subsequently worked as a lighting director for 21 years, with 10 years' experience at Spears and Major and 6 years at Isometrics Lighting and Design prior to joining BDP in 2011. At these studios, Colin has contributed to internationally award-winning projects, including the Museum of Islamic Art Galleries Doha, Sakharin Mosque in Istanbul, the Rocker Gallery London, St Paul's Cathedral Interior Lighting and the Hive UK Pavilion. His current work includes the Palace of Westminster, UCL, and the University of Cambridge. Collins also develops a series of lectures that look at how light in faith is represented from historical, religious, and psychological perspectives in architecture and contemporary art, which he's delivered across the UK, Europe, and North and South America. An organiser of a London Light and Film Festival, Colin also speaks about parallels of lighting in film, theatre, and architecture. He has authored a number of articles for national and international professional lighting magazines and is a regular speaker at lighting events and conferences around the world. Richard Grove is an acoustics director and he leads the acoustics team at BDP's Environmental Design Studio in London. And he's recently led the development of and launched the Acoustics Technician Apprenticeship. He's worked in the field of acoustics since 2005, analysing and advising on acoustics and vibration designs in multidiscipline projects for a wide variety of sectors. Richard's interest in the effects of sound on people and their environments began at an early age through a love of music, mathematics and buildings. Infusing these interests together has allowed Richard to balance the artistic and mathematical aspects of sound with the aim of improving the daily lives of people through the acoustic environment. In doing so, Richard has embarked upon a research path with a view to understanding the physiological and psychological responses of human beings to infrasound, alongside existing research into the effect on people when considering the interplay of sound and light. And so now, here they both are on that hangout call we did yesterday. So, I'm here on a hangout with Richard Grove and Colin Ball from BDP. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Hello how are you both
1: um we're adjusting to this very uh strange new experience um uh, that we know everyone uh, is in um we've just been talking about our work practices being surrounded by our colleagues constantly distracted and yet we seem to be now on constant skype calls or dealing with skype fatigue mm-hmm. which i think uh, i think a new phrase is gonna occur for everybody it's like uh uh, this two-dimensional reality uh, for the time being.
0: Yeah, looking at each other on screens. Who'd have thought when we recorded the episode back in February uh, after the Acoustics Academy launch at the Business Design Centre, who'd have thought the world was going to change the way it has? It's been quite incredible.
2: Yeah, it's, it's almost beyond recognition um, at the moment and has uh, really sort of changed the fundamental philosophy of uh, how I do my day.
1: I think this could change how we actually choose to go back to work, how we'll experience offices and workplace. I can absolutely see that there'll be a significant percentage of people going, do you know what? I'm quite living in this uh, virtual existence and the internet. I don't need to come back to three dimensions. Thank you. I'm quite happy here. And I think it's, if you multiply that across the whole city, we could be seeing the rush hour, you know, that could never return. Because mm. people have experienced, actually, my job's working fine. I don't need to come in at 9am. 9, 9 I don't need to be crushed. I mean, we're all discovering that we've got an extra two hours of energy per day that previously we'd lost.
2: As conversely, Colin, I'm discovering that the commute was my two was my half an hour of peace and quiet. Oh, okay, I... <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I should explain. We're, we're all t- on a, a, a we're all on Hangout as we do this call. I'm in uh, Acton in my bedroom of all places. Uh, Colin, where are you?
1: I'm in my study in Limehouse. For the first time, I'm surrounded by birdsong, which isn't too bad for Zone Two. And Richard?
2: And I'm I'm in my study. Come. Spare room come baby changing room <laughs> in my lower ground floor flat in West Norwood.
0: And Richard, you've had to be spending quite a bit of time in that space because, as I understand it, you contracted coronavirus, is that right?
2: Well, I certainly displayed the symptoms, Simon. So although uh, one cannot know unless they're tested. But yeah, I certainly displayed the symptoms. Unfortunately for me, they were relatively mild There are many people who are going through a lot, lot worse, and my heart really goes out to them.
0: at the beginning of the episode that we originally recorded before all this change we we were discussing how light and sound work together in buildings of course you being lighting director and acoustics director at BDP and one of the things you talked about in that was the fact that you spent time in real close proximity to one another you sat back to back and actually it was through osmosis of working next to one another that you really started to combine on the projects that we are working on is remote working Mm. helping or hindering that
1: well it's in a constant, let's say, quick succession of Skype meetings at the moment. I'd say the first week we all arrived in this new reality, you could see there was almost like an ultra normalization that was happening for those that were running the meetings. It was very strong, almost like a survival instinct that kicked in for all of us that this changes nothing. We're gonna rely on the technology, but we will speak to each other, we will engage with each other. And I've learned just by having to deal with phone calls and voices for a week, actually I can really appreciate looking and seeing responses on people's faces, sort of thing, after just having been removed from it. And I think you can see that people are starting to get a bit more used to it now, but but there's a whole let's say um it's the off the cuff. And that sort of uh, the sort of imperceptible um, distractions that you've got always by being surrounded by your colleagues. But all of those just little caring nods and things like that, that's the thing that we're really noticing that's missing. Mm-hmm. And we're putting a dedicated effort into making sure that each of us is looking after a distinct group of people so i'm making sure i phone at least 5 of my colleagues every day mm-hmm. and just having that 3 minutes of are you okay uh, where are you sitting what's happening in the family around you you know is your furniture okay you know and just or just talking weird stuff but mm. abstract stuff just to go because we haven't got that normal visual context which we have for each other where you can just see that your colleagues having a bad day on the phone or they're sitting at their machine stressed. There's that whole level of communication we're noticing is um, we're we're almost like countering it by being, I've noticed, I'm being much more warmer and more, uh, let's say, not emotional, but more reassuring to my colleagues. I've become a lot less um, uh, sort of effervescent and, you know, (laughs) sort of like disappearing all the time. When, When any of my team have got me, they've absolutely got me.
2: Uh, one thing that um human contact and the closeness can't replace is experiencing the same environment and being within that same environment so what the you, you sense stress coming off of somebody in a way you don't necessarily see it or hear it sometimes you just sense it coming off them you can feel certain things in the air temperature inflections these sorts of things that change um in certain environments so so the sound and vision aspect of the, cam- of the video conferencing is enormously helpful. Um, I still mm. find personally a level of fatigue sets in that I don't get in the office necessarily by being actually physically with someone.
0: Interestingly, though, I think with what Colin was saying about paving the way. Into the meeting with more of the hellos, the how do you do's, the where are you's, and what have you been doing? And have yeah. you watched? Have you watched anything good on Netflix lately? Perhaps. Yeah. Just yeah. a sort Tiger of King. Tiger King, right? <laughs> Everyone's watching Tiger King right now. That's oh, no. another for conversation. Me, it's RuPaul. It's RuPaul. <laughs> Fantastic. But anyway, I guess as well, rich uh, though Colin, that, that it's nice that people are taking that time. You said you're doing that because you're not there in person with them, but I suppose as a result, you're actually getting to know your team that little bit better. <laughs>
1: Well, well, there is that um, sort of voyeur side as well, is that we're all getting that little peak glimpse of everyone's houses <laughs> and exactly where, the, but also where they've chosen to sit. Uh, you know, like there's uh, one of our chief electrical engineers. I'd heard about that he'd ha- had us all set up on his giant screen. So I insisted on seeing his giant screen and where he is in his kitchen. So it's really fascinating. There's quite a few bits about people's personalities like there's loads of you know little clues that you can get from just the backgrounds where people are sitting. And, and especially the one I love is uh, those that tend to be Oxbridge graduates that must in sit in front, front of their bookshelves.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would love to tell you, Colin, that behind this door is a very large book repository, but it's actually the washing machine. <laughs>
0: Um, what I should ask though is, talking of your team up on screen, of course your team have been involved yep. in a, a project which has been making news headlines a lot recently, and that's the Nightingale Hospital. Were either of you involved in that, or can you say anything, tell us anything about that from BDP's point of view?
2: Well, I, I was, uh, I was absolutely not involved in a, any aspect of the Nightingale myself. Um, at You've all, been in isolation, uh, Richard, to the point that actually. Um, It was so top secret that many of us didn't know where some of our colleagues had disappeared to for uh, a short while until very, very, very recently, almost as recently, um, pretty much as when it came out in the press.
1: Yeah, there was a call. We knew that a number of our colleagues were more remote than normal and we knew that something important was happening but we didn't know what and it wasn't until we actually got a call there was an internal message um but we got a call for volunteers so um all of us if we said you know we put ourselves forward if we had availability or were local or we had skills that could could you know sort of contribute and the team just became so inundated because uh, they had been working themselves you know 18 hour days or more um I think they were sleeping on site so the actual sort of inrush of volunteers etc was quite i think overwhelming for them but also it really showed for us just who the people are that we work with uh, something i I really like is I work a lot on the social value and again the sort of the warmth and the softer side and the putting people first we describe in our design we're a very sort of humanist uh, company and then something like this happens and just from the grassroots up you know or just from the core of the people that work with us we discover that they're actually contributing to this um you know like uh beautiful work and um It's it's almost like at times like this, you can really tell the difference between whether you're working in an environment where you're surrounded by genuine people, you know, through all of the trauma and everything else like that, you know, it's it's great to be associated
2: with BDP at the moment. I mean, it it couldn't be better. And I remarked to our chairman actually, as it was ongoing and I was, during which time I was uh, stuck in a small uh, two by four room in a bed by myself and desperate to help, but obviously unable to. Um, I did remark to, my, uh, to our chairman that I've never been prouder than I was at this point to work for um, BDP. And actually, um, I did also remark that it, it really uh, galvanized the reasons I joined the company in the first place. One uh, A very strong reason is the um, basis on which it was founded by George Grenfell Baines and the idea of collaboration, cooperation and mutual support. And um, something that Colin and I have talked about in the past, the professional empathy um, mm. between different people to. To realise the sum of the parts as being uh, as being the best thing it can be, and, and everyone's got a role to contribute. And, Indeed, and an equal yeah. one, yeah. So yeah, we I'm... we we really really galvanised that for me, and, and just seeing what's come out of it um, in terms of the unbranded uh, design manuals that have been produced by some of our extremely talented architectural colleagues. Uh, to adapt the space and just seeing how it's being uh, willfully shared across the design community for the greater good again is it, really something um, that, that I think we can take as, a, as an enormous positive and almost and hope what I hope is a, is a turn, turning of a corner um, in terms of how we as a society design. Um, going forwards and create much more social basis on which to do that. So to the late Hmm.
0: person watching the news and seeing these images of the Excel centre being turned into a a hospital, could you explain more about what BDP did on a project like that?
1: It's um, essentially part of the like surveys of the building stock is it turned out that conference centers actually have with a clear floor plan, but also with the um, engineering systems are already sort of in place other than the delivery of the um, uh, the oxygen systems, et cetera, and the power, the backup secondary failures, et cetera, et cetera. There's um, a, a conference center, is the closest thing to a hospital that could enable this uh, sort of, uh, quick conversion, let's say, but also um, because there was so many uh, staff in furlough. So around the conference centre and the entire sort of system uh, that delivers a conference, there are plenty of available staff and workers. Uh, plus, um, especially um Uh, with the Excel centre, but I think it's true for many uh, conference centres. There's also a high level of security as well. So particularly for the coronavirus, there's a distinct degree of separation, et cetera, from um, the public.
0: Okay, so I imagine on previous hospital projects that bdp's worked on you've really taken time over lighting and acoustics which is what you guys obviously bring to a project but i imagine with something like nightingale hospital there isn't really the time to do that am i right
1: Absolutely. it's also a major difference between what the nightingale is for it is as an intensive care unit alone so it is not designed to be a space where relatives come and visit it is a space that is dealing with the peak problems for the hospitals so the very strict message that's come from the mayor is that people are to maintain going to the hospitals the nightingale is is there to expand the ICU facilities for London so if unfortunately if anyone has uh, got a relative that's entered ICU is it you can't go in You know, there's there's basically a video facility or a call in. But essentially, if a person's in ICU, they're barely conscious. You know, so it's something which is um, uh, something that's quite different uh, from what we would work in as a hospital, where in actual fact, we work in a lot um, of hospitals and we have been working and developing uh, good close contact with clean air. With fresh air, with sound, um, uh, and with natural light. I mean, this is—you know—it's not by accident that these hospitals have been called, you know, Nightingale. Is you know, Florence Nightingale made recommendations for hospitals and actually revolutionised what we have in this country, entirely based around fresh air, natural daylight you know, a natural setting. Peace and, because, peace and quiet. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. and Because the, the more your body is able to attune to that natural environment, the quicker you recover. And so we have a similar thing that we do with schools and education, is that it's about the comfort and the relaxation. So everything that we spoke to you about in the uh, previous interview really does come into play with hospitals. So one example I'm working on at the moment is uh, a new ward for the Royal Marsden, uh, which is actually for uh, patients uh, on chemotherapy. And oh. this is the moment that they're actually having the chemo administered, et cetera. So that environment that they're in, we're keeping it as relaxing, as calming, as natural as possible, because it's so important in the healing process that the person is in a relaxed state. Um,
2: and interestingly, just picking up on that, the um method for chemo um chemotherapy treatment, and something I learned uh in, in the process of doing this and a previous uh cancer treatment center as well, is that at the social that the option for the for the social support network between patients receiving chemotherapy is very much something that needs to be uh, controlled carefully in terms of uh, acoustically so that those next to one another can have a conversation and provide mutual support where the traditional perception of, say, good acoustics in a hospital and has been um, talked about a lot in TED Talks and the media, all of which is perfectly valid, um, but actually... is is interestingly countered in in cancer treatment is is this concept of being left alone and peace and quiet and everything has to be quiet and 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 suppressed to ensure somebody's treatment is or somebody's recovery is uh, is as quick as it can be or as well as it can be now i can speak from first-hand experience of being locked in a room by myself for 10 days um that idea of being left alone and everything being suppressed is actually causes one to, to delve deeper into their own minds, um, especially at times when you perhaps are experiencing things that you've never experienced before or are very unusual and, and scary. So good acoustics in a hospital, I can speak only for the acoustics of course, but good acoustics in a hospital need not necessarily be the suppression of sound it need be the promotion of positive sound and that may be promotion of social interaction between people receiving treatment simultaneously so they're very different point they're they're the different views on on what may traditionally be um peace and quiet they're two very they're very different things
0: We've been in lockdown for two weeks as we make this recording and Richard, before we spoke, you were saying it feels like a lifetime and I think there's a lot of people listening who, who will agree with that. It's only recently, really, that we were living a sort of a 9-to-5 existence with the d- discipline of setting our alarms, getting to work at a certain time, working 9-to-5 and then and then sort of coming home and we were being productive within that time. But when you're from working from home, I suppose there can be the temptation to, to keep the pyjamas on a bit longer, for things to slacken or do you think the opposite might happen? Do you think we'll become more productive as a result of this
1: um we're already seeing that everyone's realizing they've gained at least an extra two hours per day where they're able to do a bit more of their work and as such there's almost like that diffusion and maybe it's the nature of our teams but we're very lucky with the people we work with we're having to ask them to slow down and to stop they're actually gaining more freedom to do more of the work in more time with less distraction i think what that is uh it's like a question i ask my team all the time is um when we're talking is are they comfortable where they're working are they set up okay at home have they got a defined workspace and then do they go through a certain ritual in order to arrive at work so they've opened themselves up to the engagement. They're now in the professional realm, et cetera. And that ritual, exactly as you say, is about not being in your pajamas, about being ready for work. I mean, yes, all of us have got pretty bad hair at the moment, but <laughs> <laughs> but, but in actual fact, that's becoming almost like a shared communal, you know, sort of like General. commentary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but then it's really important to have that ritual of opening up work and arriving at work at 9am, you know, so you're there now engaged because it's even more important to switch the work down and off.
0: What thoughts have you, Richard, on that?
1: You used to work in Belgium from home, right?
2: Yeah, for a little while. And uh, one thing that was of extreme importance for me at the time was to have that discipline of eight hours, eight hours, eight hours to make sure that I was finishing and closing my laptop at a certain time in order to do other things, prevent the convolution of work and home life and one taking over the other. It was equally as important to prevent your home life from seeping into your. Work life and uh, and distracting you to to maintain those those kind of boundaries. So whereas the nine to five exists in a, in a way that we look at it that we go to a place to do the nine to five. I don't think it will it will necessarily die a death. I think it will evolve to something hmm. of greater self discipline, whereby we we choose to engage in it in a way that allows us to be the most productive and best that we can be Hmm. in any given day. Some days that will be nine to five, some days it won't, the the numbers themselves aren't relevant, it's all the discipline of the amount of time you spend, which is very important um, for the concept of what health and well-being is Hmm. now. Um, given that we have in the past spoken, and I know Quiet Mark speak a lot as well about, the concept of health and wellbeing and the need for good acoustics in your space, that's actually now not just become good acoustics in my workplace or let someone else deal with that, it's now become almost a separate responsibility for themselves to create good environments for yourself. I think in many ways what we've experienced in two weeks
1: is a leap 10 to 15 years into the future, we're being forced to go that much more virtual. But that, you know, when you magnify that across a city, we really could be seeing a new way of engaging with our cities. We don't have to have people on premises all at the same time. People can come in, you know, so the whole greater flexibility that we have in how we work, when we work, and where we work is going to become you know, sort of even wider. If you think, if we're in this, and again, it all depends on how long we're in this unusual situation. If we're here for six months and, you know, we get the all clear and we're all out on the street, the importance of physically embracing each other would never mean so much more. Mm. And the importance of actually just having that close one-to-one dialogue with someone, we're going to really cherish it which our generation are really going to understand that, you know, in 23, 20, 30 years time, we're probably still going to be recognized by the lower generations as the cuddly, touchy, feely lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because we, we've been so, uh, you know, like uh, never has the actual, you know, like the way mothers are describing in the news now that like, even when their kids are hurting, they can't hug them. You know, that there's a lot of um, sort of contact and ease of communication that's fundamental to everything that we do in terms of designing the spaces around people. That, that's something I can see is that all the spaces that bring people together are going to become softer and more friendly because we have to entice people out of their homes. So the home is going to become much more even, you know, we're, we're seeing it now. When the we work spaces and all the trendy shoreditch offices whatever you know they look like strange studios but these are the experienced places that you have to offer someone now if you give them a cold sterile environment they'll go no i'll work better at home thank you very much and there won't be anything that we as corporations or society or whatever can expect from people because we we'll have demonstrated and proven that this works better well
0: guys thank you so much for uh coming back to be interviewed for this special sort of insert that we're going to be weaving into your uh uh, the podcast that we did together a month ago i'm glad you've recovered richard and it's um good to see you looking healthy on my screen here uh thanks again and uh i hope to see you soon in the real world Welcome to the Quiet Mark podcast. My guests today, well, we're doing two for the price of one today. We're joined by Richard Grove and Colin Ball from BDP. Welcome to the podcast, Colin and Richard.
2: Hello. Hello. Thank you, Simon.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, On the day of recording, 13th of February, we've just finished doing the Acoustics Academy launch uh, event for Quiet Mark at the Business Design Centre in Islington. So not only am I thanking you for being our podcast guest, but also thank you for doing the presentations that you did today where light and sound came together. So who's going to start first? How do light and sound marry up in your worlds in what you do at BDP?
1: Well, first of all, I think is... I first met Richard because we used to sit right next to each other and its it was just through that process or uh, via osmosis of constantly hearing what they were talking about. For the first time in my professional career I started to understand why restaurants were working or not working according to sound design. So I started to assume I knew what was going on but then two years ago we had a conversation where I talked to him about what we do with melatonin balance in the brain how light stimulates the brain changes it 24 hours a day
2: and Richard looked at me like I was mad (laughs) well yeah I mean we uh, Colin and I as Colin said we sat next to one another for a while and similarly uh, by a similar process of osmosis um, I was picking up little tidbits. Around uh, how light affects us, how it affects our mood, how it affects our tiredness um, and our energy levels. But there has always been a synergy between light and sound. And uh, one thing that as an acoustician over the course of my career, I haven't perhaps been as exposed to as I was after joining BDP is... um, that clear synergy in building design and how the two really can come together to make a full multi-sensory experience
0: i've got a question that you made me think of in that introduction there colin it was to do with the fact that you know what it's like right i'm a cyclist and there are nights when i cycle home in the winter and it might be eight o'clock in the evening mm. coming home from work and it's dark and it's wet and you feel like it's so late but eight o'clock on a summer's day is like let's go out for the evening yes. and you're yes. Are there sound equivalents to how we feel about that according to the change of life?
1: That was exactly my question, because exactly what you're talking about could actually be measured in people's bloodstreams according to the melatonin level. So it's it's, it's actually physically recordable by the uh, hormonal uh, balance of our uh, system,
2: whereas in sound, we haven't seen that. We, we haven't seen that um, as much necessarily, there uh, have been allusions to certain natural sounds giving us indicators of when it's day and night, but actually our sound sense has um, developed and evolved to protect us and give us a, uh, an ability to survive by scanning the environment. If we go back to a situation before artificial light when the sun went down we would no longer be able to see the threats or the predators and we would rely almost entirely on our sound sense which is why recently so many research studies have focused on sleep and the impacts on sleep of people's soundscapes
1: like Much of lighting has been hitting the news over the last few years because everyone knows that their phones are keeping them awake at night. But that was almost a continuation of the same studies that started with sick building syndrome way back in the 80s, which was why were people falling asleep at their desks in the afternoon, no matter how much coffee they had? And it was because of the large banks of dark ceilings above their head. So we've learned over the last 20 years, and this is working with NASA scientists trying to help astronauts sleep on the space space station, that there is this direct relationship between alertness and the very specific colour of blue or pale blue that's akin to the uh, the blue that we recognize at the sky and this has actually been recognized as a direct signal path between the uh, hormonal system of the brain and the eyes that actually doesn't affect our visual system at all
0: with regard to that phone news i mean i think people will tell you different stories but the one i know is try not to look at your phone an hour before you go to sleep because Absolutely, of the yeah. brilliance of the light in your eyes. Yep. What about headphones before you go to sleep?
2: Well, you are stimulating your brain through your auditory cortex when you're listening to sounds. And as I was describing to someone earlier, when I um, really want to concentrate, I might listen to heavy metal music because the music itself gives that um, shot of adrenaline, sends me back to a memory place in, in my mind where mm. I, would, I would listen to that music when I was studying. Yeah. for my for my degree or for my uh, for college but when I want to relax I might listen to a lot slower music so in actual fact sound is tapping into some slightly different areas of the brain in terms of memory and in terms of association but when we take those earphones out one thing um, we don't have over our ears which we have over our eyes and which Colin and I have said numerous times are ear lids there's mm. no such thing as an ear lid no so we can't Close our ears willfully. Yeah, Yeah. and strangely enough,
1: I always sleep with music on at night to the point that when I was a teenager, I couldn't sleep for years. And I learned this technique by playing familiar music, but of a sufficient volume, it enabled me to get out of my head enough to fall asleep. But it's given me this sort of uh, strange side effect now that when I buy a new album and I try and devotedly listen to it, I'm usually asleep by the second, <laughs> <laughs> second track. So it's like I've sort of pre-programmed myself to tune to the listening system I've Pass out.
0: But I take it you're not (laughs) listening to Iron Maiden and ACDC like our friend Richard.
1: Gary Newman still features (laughs) there. I'm
0: pleased to hear it. And as someone wearing a fine Jacquard print black jacket, I'm glad Gary Newman is there. Cars was my second single. That's another story for another Uh, time. But it's still, you know, you were talking about music from your youth. But I was just, when you answered your question, Richard, I thought. No wonder I still work so well to the smiths.
1: It, it does seem to be familiarity how I'm able to relax. It, it could be that because I work with my visual system all the time, I have to completely sidestep or find a different part of my brain now in order to fall asleep. But it's, it, it's got to a point now, actually, that if I'm going to remember anything, I have to see it written down. It has to be recorded through my visual process. I have to see it. The ability for me to actually accept instructions and to agree to things on the phone call, to actually forget them by the time the phone is down, is like I really have lost a connection to my own
0: audio system. The apprenticeship side of things, Richard actually there's some link isn't there to the noise abatement society review? Mm-hmm. would you like to tell our listeners what the link is there because obviously quiet mark is associated with the noise abatement society and you've won a prize from the noise abatement
2: so society. we were fortunate enough to be nominated and we won the armstrong next generation award as part of the recent john connell awards awarded by the Noise Abatement Society Um, the apprenticeship that we, we are or we have developed and we have launched now is seeking to bring new people into the industry acoustics has very much been hidden in amongst various other engineering and design industries in a way sound itself is a hidden sense that often isn't necessarily focused on as much as uh, we perhaps would like in the acoustics industry. So the aim of this is entirely to bring more people into the industry, give more awareness of acoustics to everyone. It'll be a level 4 apprenticeship. It'll last for 2 years and uh, by the end we're looking uh, we're hoping to give apprentices the tools to continue a career in acoustics. If I wanted to get a building made
0: or lit, I could come to Colin with my google images and say i love this lighting look at that i want this and i love that and so on and you, you, you're spoiled for choice with your reference material where do you get reference material for what you want a place to sound like and how do you
2: briefer an, an acoustician well it's interesting so in the same way that uh, you mentioned earlier about recalling memory or understanding or, or remembering things um an acoustician uh, well, I only speak for myself in this in this regard. My method of retaining and and hearing things, and actually, uh, sorry, my method of retaining knowledge is through my auditory sense. I can't read music, um, but I can play music. I can barely read um, Farsi, but I can speak fluent Farsi, which was learned from my grandmother. So, to this end, we we need to focus then on. On the hearing sense and what that does to people what feelings that gives you we spoke already about being able to recall information or being it or feeling relaxed like Colin and, and passing out by the second song mm. um, that is those are the questions that acousticians need to ask our clients and our users what do you want it to feel like not necessarily what do you want it to sound like mm. because we are the translators for that and we should be the people that are able to translate someone's feelings into a design for sound using the tools that we have at our disposal and equally translate it back to the users.
1: I couldn't agree with that more. Our clients are very aware of what they want the space to be for, what, what they're going to do in it and how they're feeling. It's really up to us to go away and know all of our technical specialities and histories of our industry and to almost like create all of that technicality in the background. I mean, my uh, relative um, sort of comparison to that is I know all the high technology that you need to dim modern lamps now, but every single one of my clients, and it doesn't matter if it's a hotel or business or or, um, an office complex... They just want a simple slider on the wall, a simple light switch. Everybody hates these complex, high-tech systems. But that's our job, to bring simplicity to our clients.
0: I I like that. Um, My wife works in fashion and uh, uh, has done for years. And you might have a client who comes along and says, I want this dress, and they'll describe the dress. And my wife, in her expertise, will think, actually... You don't want that dress. <laughs> Sometimes a client is really appreciative when they're advised what they might suit better and then they see it totally unexpected, and go, You were so right.
1: The phrase that Richard uses is uh, cognitive dissonance and that's and that's something which is you feel you're in a space but it doesn't feel right but you don't know why. So very much our job is to you know, plug that gap. So uh I know that if that person wants to have a relaxed, calm dining experience, then it needs to have a warm tone. The light needs to be not on the skin. It needs to be reflected off the materials around them. There has to be a certain level of contrast and balance vertically as well as horizontally, mm. whereas an office environment, that would be totally different. And I think that there's a whole um, like kit of parts that come into play around that person that we don't necessarily have to communicate with them as soon as you start talking too much about your own job you lose your client you can actually watch their their eyes glaze over in front of you it sounds <laughs> like uh actually that's something it took me many years to learn it
2: takes all professionals it, many yeah, years yeah, to learn. It,
1: yeah, yeah. It's, it's to not show off your knowledge is <laughs> yes. just make the people around you comfortable and in your reassuring them and then if they do ask the questions, then yes, you can show off and let them know how clever you are. But, but otherwise, it's, it's always best just to not reveal how you've done things.
2: Taking Colin's um, example of a calm dining experience, that dining experience would be completely blown out of the water if the space were a cacophony of echoes and noise and sounds as we, as we often hear complaints about in restaurants. So where Colin mentioned cognitive dissonance, there's also the cognitive resonance that he and I have have talked about more and more and more. And this effectively means that if Colin is lighting somewhere to be relaxing, we should be designing somewhere to be relaxing in the acoustic sense as Mm. well.
0: Now, I think I've mentioned the Beatles on a few of my uh, podcasts, bit of a fan. But, you know, there was Lennon and there was McCartney and there was the two of them together. Do you feel in your careers that you've almost been like these soloists who've come together and now are forming a bit more of a duo? Um, Should
2: I go first? Which uh, ones
0: Lennon and which ones McCartney? Is Ringo?
2: Yeah, which one's Ringo? The uh, I I guess so. I guess it's just the natural. But they write differently
0: together, right? They Mm. do write. That's the that's real essence of my question. They could be great solo writers, but they write very differently as a pairing. And uh, as a duo, you know, you've got Plant and Page and you've got mm-hmm. you know Jagger and Richards and it makes an amazing a soloist, result.
1: Yeah, and as soloists, they were rubbish. You know? yes. like, they, yes. <laughs> um, I think actually one example that we showed today was uh, Roehampton University Library. And this was a really interesting um, singular vision that the architects came to us with, which was they wanted this beautiful concrete to be uninterrupted and to be this like sheet. So I immediately spoke to them about how light reflects off concrete from certain angles, makes it look very reflective and watery. But you can even, um, at close up, Bring much more warmth and actually make that same concrete look like suede and give this warmth and texture, but that same singular vision then turns into something different when that same
2: architect's speaking with Richard yes, yeah, hmm. so again, taking that example it's um it's very counterintuitive uh for an acoustician. Uh, to be asked to keep the concrete soffit exposed but also maintain the essence of uh, what a library is, which um, in today's world is as much a collaborative study space uh, full of discussion and, and um and act and full collaboration between different people as it is a reading space or a quiet space. So that's a massive challenge um, in all respects. But in meeting that challenge, we have to then think creatively. And again, going back to the original point of engagement with the client, really understanding where the spaces need to bustle and where they need to be calmed and where people need to concentrate and where actually it doesn't matter as much Hmm. Um, both all of these aspects are very important, um, and as, if, if all of the environmental conditions contribute to that sense, then you do have essentially a resonance.
0: It's interesting, Colin. You were saying that the brief for you was kind of shiny surfaces, which is the visual brief, mm. but the acoustics brief is a certain warmth and depth, which it's, the two don't go hand in hand. Oh, one,
1: yeah but, yeah, but but that's that's what made it so important for me to bring out the warmth and make that soft warmth in the concrete visual so it matched the sound map.
0: one of the other speakers on our panel today was uh, Martin from Baswa and as we saw with him he talked about curved surfaces and ornate ceilings and different types of finishes where it was his plaster that was Mm -hmm. really helping with the acoustics and I suppose my question to you is when you're in that conundrum of hold on, they want hard and shiny but warm and soft and the two maybe don't go hand in hand is there a good awareness in the industry of ah, but Baswa could be a fix to giving them what they want it can be shiny but it can also be absorbent do you, do we think that the industry knows what products are right for what solutions and c- can you see Acoustics Academy helping along that
1: way? Yeah, uh, yeah ab- absolutely I think um, one of the reasons why I'm here and uh, Richard has been to our previous lighting events, is because as an industry of professions and professionals, we silo out all the time. And there's a lot of uh, great work and research and inspiration that each of our industries is conducting that we are missing um, uh, because we don't speak to each other. And I think this is something which... You know, after working in an industry for twenty years, you do start to see see through all ev- and uh, each and every aspect of it. But then when you get introduced to a different field, well, there's lots of things that we take for granted that are of immense value somewhere else, and vice versa. And I think that's where industry is coming together, also across the different disciplines of research, education, professions and manufacturing if you can get a good cross-section through your whole industry again that becomes a really good central focus to then engage with other industries.
2: Picking up from what Colin just said the acoustics industry and relationship with uh, manufacturers and solution providers particularly within the building materials industry has been to some degree patchy at best over the years so what Colin's saying is absolutely true we will get a huge amount of intelligence from being able to uh, go to a central resource but I also think um, something like this, the Acoustics Academy does give a central resource for architects, interior designers and uh, contractors and people actually tasked with building these buildings um, who often don't have the time or the resource to necessarily scour uh, full Internet's worth of products, mm. but would often like a shortcut to it. Almost. Yeah, shortcut or or they would they would maybe gravitate towards products they've used time and time again, mm. without realising that another product is out on the market.
0: Yeah, no, that's really interesting because I found it interesting listening to ecophon and uh, Baswell, and where Baswell was saying you retain a ceiling. Echophon were using panels in really beautiful ways to achieve uh, what Shane from Echophon describes as the sound of the sky, which is mm. beautiful but that's a that's something that you need to know when do you need panels or when do you need plaster and uh, it all helps you achieve your results but it, it's quite a, quite a toolbox out there that's available
2: Ultimately it is the decision of the architect or interior architect or um, principal designer or check whatever you want to call the person designing the building it's their decision of the uh, how it will look visually the aesthetic of the building as acousticians where we come into play is um, truly understanding the the behavior of the sound in that material and being being able to advise so the key there is to advise with a view to maintaining the architectural language and intent which I think acousticians are becoming much more tuned into, and I think lighting professionals have been extremely good at.
1: Yeah, we've 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 got the luck in many ways that um, half of our design work is the natural light. Uh, in the first place so where there isn't structure so we, we can be a lot more fundamental to the building itself when we talk about daylight before we talk about the artificial light but it is our constant complaint as well that if we're brought in too late there's a very limited amount that we can do in lighting to correct or enhance the space whereas if we're there from the very beginning and give those fundamental directions In in unifying a design response of which bits are lit, which are not, what the sound qualities are from those very initial sketches, you we actually create something that enhances both. I think
2: and all of the examples we showed today, Enterprise Centre, Roehampton, yeah, we we were there from the very beginning. We were there from yeah, right at the beginning, and that gave that opportunity and the reason when you walk in, they feel seamless. and well coordinated is because of that early involvement. Good acoustics shouldn't be noticed. In many respects, it should just be.
0: Now, I've interviewed a few podcasts today, and uh, as a musician, I've been really interested to hear how many people who who are acousticians have a massive love of uh, music, and they're often people that play instruments. Colin. Are you a film buff? And lighting in film, does that really... Does that inform you hugely in what you're doing? Yes,
1: yes. And also a wannabe rock star because of all the lighting rigs that ah. I've not been able to get behind. <laughs> well, no, no, well, my claim to fame is I lit uh, the darkness when when they were still performing upstairs in North London pubs. There. Brilliant. So, so, but you could do an amazing amount of work with a single blue fluorescent you know, in those days. Um, <laughs> but I think... The, Some of the most amazing uh, lighting design I've seen recently was probably P.J. Harvey, where she completely um, uh, timed and positioned every um, song and performance according to her shadow, the angle she was lit. It was a complete 3D performance. Where did you see her play? uh, That was at the um, uh, Royal Albert Hall. And, and it was in, you know, her, one of her, you know, where she was dressed with the enormous sort of black feathered headdress.
0: Yeah, it's a Let England Shake album. That's right. Yeah. It, yeah. it,
1: it was remarkable. It was, it was like a piece of Japanese kabuki Amazing. S- stage play. It was so well crafted.
0: Is there a renowned holy grail of uh, acoustics for a music venue?
2: Well it's it's so down ago. to personal preference, but the at the the current renowned holy grail in the media is the vineyard style concert hall, which um is something the Elbe philharmonie have looked at doing over in Hamburg where you get to see the performers in the round um but it's so much down to personal preference in that respect. there's no one type of concert hall. That is the silver bullet. If you're going to take any shape, the shoebox shape has been proven time and again as being the shape of choice for accommodating most types of music. Personally, my favorite concert hall in London, I wouldn't call it a concert hall anyways, the Brixton Academy. Great gig. And that is partially because of the sound, partially because of what I can see, because of the sloped floor Mm -hmm. but also because of the memories i've built there over the years similarly the roundhouse technically speaking shouldn't be a good concert venue it's perfectly round colin and i saw swans there one of my best gigs of all time watching colin dancing to swans (laughs) was also very enjoyable got the pictures (laughs) but this is this is the point is it's not there acoustically there are there is perfection but acoustics goes way beyond the sound sometimes.
0: So when I say Brixton Academy, you say?
2: Mogwai.
1: Colin? (laughs) Nick Cave. I've been a massive Nick Cave fan since 1987, and I've been very lucky to actually have him just get cooler and cooler and more accepted. (laughs) Exceptional. And, And I just... Yeah, I love it, his
0: soundtrack work with Warren as well, which is yes, just exceptional. Yeah. Too.
1: Although it does shock me now that I do say to people that I've seen him more than 30 times, and I think, oh, that can't be possible. No, yes, Colin, you are that old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For me, the Brixton Academy memory is Lenny Kravitz, funny enough, on the uh, Are oh, You Going to Go My Way sort of
2: yeah.
0: uh, tour, No, not Are You Going to Go My Way. What was the one before that? Um, it Ain't Over Till It's Over and all that sort of stuff. Oh, I can't remember the name the, of the album. The, no. the Slow
2: Jams. Yeah,
0: but that was a great... And it was a brilliant gig. And like you say, the memories were there and uh, and everything else. It's a pleasure interviewing you both. We could talk a lot more. I think we could fill a few episodes. So I am <laughs> going to ask you back if that's all right.
2: Uh, more Another than problem. happy, absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much for having us on the your podcast.
0: So uh, you're very welcome. Thanks yeah. very much. Connie. Thank
2: you. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for this first episode of the Quiet Mart podcast. We hope you enjoyed it in episode two we'll be having more heart-to-hearts with designers during lockdown exploring how the future of building design will be affected i'll be speaking with biophilic designer and television presenter oliver heath who explores what nature can teach us about sound design and the wonderful effects bringing nature into our spaces can have on our well-being in the meantime for further research for upcoming projects acoustics academy at quietmark.com The pioneering online platform will help you find expertly verified leading acoustic solutions for every type of building application area. Residential, commercial, industrial, schools, healthcare, hospitals, restaurants and all sorts of public spaces. With a new advice platform emerging for best practice acoustic solutions for the next generation of building design. Approved components for buildings include walls, floors, ceilings, doors, windows, air control and much more. With the awarded products' case studies used in famous and iconic buildings like the Shard, the Louvre, and the V&A Museum. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends, and please join us for future episodes. We've got some great ones in the pipeline, so stay tuned. But for now, goodbye. Stay safe and take good care of yourselves. Bye bye. <laughs>